You're just throwing your life away. I was thinking more like noble sacrifice. Screw your noble sacrifice! What is it with you boys and your noble sacrifice? I'm not gonna let you do it. Well, it's not your choice. You can't fix me, okay? Some things are just broken and there's nothing you can do about it. Said the quitter right before he quit. You think I want to die? Of course I fucking don't. But, but, but I don't see a way out of this and frankly, you not giving up is making what I have to do harder. You wanna do something stupid? Fine by me. What the hell are you doing? Something stupider. Solid Foley work there. Uh, welcome, everyone, to episode 404 of Physical Kids Weekly, Mary Fuck Kill. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And our guest today is writer, producer, and newly minted third showrunner, Henry Alonzo Myers. Welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly, Henry. Hi, thanks. Nice to be here. It's really good to have you back. And uh, for another Big Josh episode, uh, I noticed uh. when I was like going through, <laughs> I took the template from our last interview, and when I was going through it, I realized that the last time we talked to you was the time that you first introduced the quickening. So, <laughs> right, yeah, the, the episode I wrote with Mike. Yeah. Um, so before we dive into <laughs> this one, though, I'm going to give our my recaps are getting less and less quick the further we go in. Um, but my recap, <laughs> my quick recap for our listeners. So here's what happened in this episode. After Bacchus's death, Josh starts showing symptoms of the quickening, the once-every-30-years event that turns lycanthropes, a.k.a. werewolves, feral. He shares this info with Margot, who finds an Indonesian spell involving Kanye's Komodo dragon that will supposedly solve his problem. When the spell doesn't work, Josh gets desperate, locks himself in a cage in the basement of Breakbills, determined to die rather than murder or rape another human. But Margot, who's already lost Elliot and doesn't want to lose another friend, locks herself in with him and offers her consent. While all this is happening, Julia and Penny try to sort out Julia's god problems, which really sounds like a euphemism to me, with help from the main edge Shoshana. Alice grabs the Scooby Gang's books from the library with help from Christopher Plover, and Quentin confronts his father's death with help from the monster, only to learn that Elliot is dead as well. Or is he? Gotta say, Henry, that was quite the cliffhanger. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was, uh, we, we, uh... <laughs> Sometimes you sort of feel like uh, everyone only remembers the last like 10 seconds of an episode. So I was very excited to write this one for that reason. <laughs> Sometimes you make it so that's what they remember, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's the, that's the idea. They, you know, my feeling is if, you get, if you're excited to see the next episode, then I did my job. Good. So Danny, what about you? How did you feel about this episode? I like this episode a lot. It's... Moving the plot forward quite well. <laughs> um, I, I like it. I like uh, seeing uh, different sides of characters. Like, uh, I'm feeling like we're getting to see, like, I guess the monster become more human, but I mean, that could be part of his game. <laughs> yeah, I think I had in my notes that, like, I really hate to say this, but I think I kind of like the monster by the end of this episode. And like, I like the dynamic that he has with Quentin and I, I don't feel comfortable with that, but <laughs> you know, that you're supposed you're, you're, I mean, look, you, you, you're supposed to have any reaction you have. Uh, the, the idea was that we complicate him a little bit and, and show a scene where, I mean, show a story where he's not exactly, uh, you have, you sort of half wonder if he's helping. Uh, you know, I think uh, while uh, while at the same time recognizing that he's we didn't want to rob him of being scary and and uh, and murderous, but you uh, you definitely want to know if he's helping uh, at some point. 
Yeah. So I mentioned this at the top, but Henry, one of the reasons we're so excited to have you back for this episode is because the last time we had you on was episode 311, where we first introduced the concept of the quickening. And at that time, you couldn't really say much for fear of spoiling everything. (laughs) (laughs) Now that we're here a season later, I have to ask, how much of the quickening had you all planned out already in that episode and how much is totally new? I mean, uh, as I recall, when we were writing that episode, like I've always loved uh, werewolf movies uh, for whatever reason. uh, And uh, I had... um, had this urge to kind of find a way to take uh, the lycanthropy thing and make it serious because mm. we sort of played the joke initially. Um, and so, and then I was also uh, uh, working with the room to try to figure out what would be a, a, like in that episode, the thought was what can we learn in the 23rd timeline that can change the way that we look at our timeline? Hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, because I w- wanted to do it with, with, uh, with Josh and Julia, uh, I, uh, I was like, what, what, what about Josh's life? Can we, you know, mine? Um, and so, uh, that was really all that I knew is that we, we, I wanted to find a way to make the, the, uh, lycanthropy seem more dangerous. Um, and so I, we had a sense that it was going to have to do with the werewolf curse in some way, but I don't think we really figured it out more than, uh, we certainly didn't figure out the sex angle. Um, you know, uh, and, and that I think was the thing that really kind of made the whole <laughs> story come together. <laughs> I, I will say I had a lot of uh, werewolf sex questions that I edited out of this, but I do have one important <laughs> <Why>? question. <laughs> if there's any place to ask werewolf sex questions, this is the place. Well, okay, I'll, not? I'll ask the one that Danny and I were talking about um, yesterday, the day before when I was out there visiting. What the heck is traditional lycanthropy sex? <laughs> oh, she just meant traditional sex in the sense that uh, I w- was trying to make it clear that the curse does not pati- – like it, we w- didn't want to exclude uh, – um, it was traditional heterosexual sex is what she meant. Uh, Danny, you were right. Sex that you could have. And, and the point was that the, 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 the curse is an old curse and it's just like, you know, you know it, tr- it transfers from male to female, sta- straight up standard sex. P and the V as uh, – <laughs> As uh, um, Margot says in the last scene, <laughs> that was the idea. Meaning that, like, you know, does that mean that if you were gay and, and engaging in, in? Oh, I was going to go much sillier. I was going to say, does that mean that Josh had to try, had to find a female tree? Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, you know. It occurs to me saying this that there is no reason why magic rules have to apply to that. But the idea was that he, you know, was that that he had to find um, the curse was asking him something terrible that he had to find a sexual partner and and really there's no reason why it it he he couldn't have transferred it to a man or a woman can't transfer it to a woman like I, there's really no reason why as i think about it i mean it's magic there's no reason it has to follow any bizarre you know uh, uh rules of society but the, all, all that we wanted for him was the was to explore the idea that he was asked to do something that was immoral to him mm-hmm. um, and that josh would find reprehensible um, and you know, the, the, the story, re- that really story re- came together with, with the idea that, um, Margo, uh, has been fighting very hard to save her friend and has been unable to do it. Um, there was like a minor scene that we cut for time where she has been researching ways to like, try to, uh, um, get 
Elliot's body back um, mm. and not coming up with anything. Um, and that, you know, he comes in with this lycanthropy problem and then it kind of sidelines her. And the idea was that, you know, this is like the problem solving Margot. This is like the Welters Margot that mm. we've seen before who like is, you know, there's n- nothing that she can't solve. And, and the idea was that she's just lost this huge battle. You know, she's, she's in the last episode, she really feels like she, you know, she has been unable to get Elliot back. Mm-hmm. In way, shape, or form, and so she focuses on a thing that she thinks she might be able to solve. It's a stupid problem, but it turns out to be yeah more complex on its more own. Complex. Yeah, ah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, and then I want, and the other thing that I was going through with with uh, on the Josh side was you know he's someone who is he is pretty moral. He's a good guy, and mm-hmm. he's faced with the idea of having to do something that he. It's not just that he finds it distasteful. He just can't, he can't live with. Yeah. Well, and Danny, that's something you picked up on a lot. You were saying basically like what an ethical cinnamon roll Josh is in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. I like that phrase. (laughs) I mean, the scene that was really important to me for him was the scene where he finds, he remembers that as he was Isaac, he had sex with someone, which he would have done without having any idea that this would have caused a problem. And that, you know, I just wanted to think of what is the most, like, crazy, awkward version of the, like, um, hey, so I gave you an STD scene <laughs> that we can write. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like a bad uh, on crack. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Kasha Kropinski, who played the 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 girl, uh, is uh, just magnificent, a magnificent actress. And I feel like we really lucked out when we found her because she that's one of my that is one of my favorite scenes i've written on the magicians and like it she just really brought it to life like it ended she up did being a really like good a, job of being like on the edge of over the top i tried really hard this is an episode where josh is confronted with a lot of crazy women um who were super fun to write um and i like that and you know what i really liked about her performance was i felt like she brought a credible level of craziness while maintaining the heart like it, it never it, she did not feel unreal to me like she felt i really feel for this i mean i can imagine this terrible thing that she went through you know that she suddenly she's not a person who knows anything about magic and suddenly she's transforming into a werewolf without really knowing what's going on um you know mm-hmm. and I, that to me is like and i thought she did a great job of sort of displaying the emotional reality of that um, which is something that we struggle very hard to to uh, make happen on the magicians, um, but she was terrific. Uh, and uh, you know, we also had uh, Jolene Purdy playing uh, uh, the Manad, who uh, that was really when we we were talking about the character of the Manad. Th- it was originally for this episode, uh, and I, and I had this idea of of this you know uh, uh, servant of a god who has crazy makeup running down her face like. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Oh, I'm, forgive me. I'm forgetting from the uh, from like that like the poster for that TV show, Enlightened. Do you remember that? No. Uh, uh, with a, with uh, uh, Laura Dern. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, there's a, it's a it was a great poster with her looking just like a wreck with her mascara running down her face and you know with a tag Enlightened <laughs> under it. So I, I had this idea that you you know we'd find this servant of servant of a god who is sort of an otherworldly being and she was having the worst day of her life. You know, yeah. and she was a, a total wreck, and we managed to just stop her from committing suicide because she has absolutely no reason to be, uh, and you know, and somehow sort of accidentally give her a 
purpose in life again. Um, and then I guess the other, don't get too far <laughs> ahead of Josh. Cause we, we, we have a lot of, a lot of material to cover. A lot of questions. All right. Yeah. You, you, you tell, you tell me. Yeah. <laughs> well, getting uh, back to Josh, he re- really cares about doing the right thing. Um, Henry, tell us about writing for Josh. How is it different from writing for any of the other characters? Well, Josh is not, I mean, I think Josh is not a depressive. He's kind of the guy who kind of, who comes into a scene and tries to make people feel better. He's mm-hmm. like a good host. Like he, mm. he's the guy who kind of keeps the conversation going. You know, he's a, he loves, he loves a joke because I think, I think it comes from an insecurity mm. in him. And so he's constantly sort of quippy. Um, and it's fun to write his quips and it's also fun to write him the quips kind of having less and less effect on the world around him as the, you know, as the episode kind of moves on, he goes from, he's pretty quippy throughout it, but it, it becomes increasingly desperate. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. He becomes upset by it. Um, you know, and I, I, I find him, I think he's interesting because I think he's a person who, he uses humor to deflect things. He doesn't usually uh, expose things, but I think he has a, a very, he has a good, soul he has a good heart he's a kind person and he's not yeah. faced with doing awful things like i think he's used to being a guy who gets along with everyone and gets everyone to get along with him you know he's he, he he's he, he uh he's a good cook because he likes to make people happy yeah i really like that scene at the very beginning where he's like making i mean i know it's part of a dream sequence he's making condolence <laughs> but i love i love but, but condolence muffins he's just yeah. kind of like mm-hmm. being the mom friend for everyone yeah right and what do you what what does a person like that do when there is no way out of it what is it there's no way to not be a nice guy you can't be a nice guy in this situation like and survive was sort of the idea um and uh, you know and, and that's that's sort of his fundamental challenge there um and then you know he pairs up with Margot, who has no problem being <laughs> so i am i did have some other questions about that conversation that he has the like std conversation with uh, what is the character's name again enid the okay. name was originally uh it was a joke name from uh, i call her enid schmertz <laughs> <laughs> from a from an old script of mine but then she just she just ended up being Enid. Okay. I believe it is what cleared. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but, so uh, I, I'm curious what happened to Enid after Josh left. Like, did he help <laughs> her clean up the body? Did he tell her magic is real? Did he turn her into the police? Like, what is her life after he leaves the room? <laughs> I'm curious, too, because uh, I, I deliberately left that out. There's a bunch <laughs> of those moral questions that I just didn't want to ask. And so we ended the uh, – we ended the um, – the scene before you find out what happens. Um, I personally like to believe that Josh actually covered up for the crime, uh, did what he could to help her and like did a memory charm on her so that she wouldn't remember. Um, yeah. You know, like that's, that's, I think what he would do because I think he would feel horribly responsible. He would not turn her into the police because he would feel like it's all his fault. Yeah. Uh, you know, same question about the torso Josh found in his bed. Who does it belong to, and what the hell did Josh do to them? I think it's an animal. <laughs> it's an animal, right? It was an animal. Okay. It, actually, here's a bit of trivia. Uh, do you remember Cupcake, the cat that got turned inside out in an episode yes. I wrote in season two? Uh-huh. It Unfortunately. Was it was Cupcake. What? <laughs> Meaning we had the old carcass. I wanted an unrecognizable animal 
um, uh, in the bed. Like my thought was that he Godfather. went out in the middle of the night. Yeah. Or like uh, American Werewolf in London. Like he ran, he went out in a sort of savage, crazy fugue state and, and, uh, and like, you know, killed a raccoon or something. Um, but we needed a carcass and wanted it to be unrecognizable. And the, uh, masters of X, uh, who had built the cat before had the, the cupcake cat, the inside out cat from previously. And they were like, well, why don't we use this? <laughs> so we, we sort of uh, folded it back <laughs> so it wasn't quite inside out. And then we added a few little ribs and things to it and sprinkled <laughs> blood around it. <laughs> uh, David Reed's theory was that it was the puppy uh, from this week's episode, the previous episode. But uh, I, uh, I vehemently deny that. It's not the puppy. <laughs> Uh, the wild animal I thought it. I killed. thought it for a second. Yeah, the puppy would have been too small. This was a much bigger thing. I told David, whatever it is he does to like Quentin or cute animals uh, throughout the show, it's going to happen to Humble Drum at some point. Oh uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good threat for him. <laughs> I love the reference to to Humble Drum in the woods with mm-hmm. the peach schnapps. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, that was for you guys. That was for the people who read the book. <laughs> that was a little yeah. He delivered that line so well. The, the peach schnapps, like totally. I, I was very excited at how much she was crying while she was saying that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So I think both of us were also really interested. I mean, we can't get through this episode without talking about the Josh Margot relationship, which I have decided is is going to be called Mosh from now on. That's way better than (laughs) Jargo. Up until this point, we haven't really seen much of them together. And like when we did in the last episode, for example, they were (laughs) Josh was not exactly happy with Margot. So Mm -hmm. no. Why did you and the other writers want to bring them together now? And what kind of challenges did writing their relationship into being pose for you? Well, I think they're sort of like a unlikely but surprising couple was sort of the idea. Um, And, you know, when there's conflict between people, I feel like that's the that's when you kind of get a sense of their chemistry. Mm. I mean, the the real reason was that uh, we have sort of a the similar philosophy to like, a, I know in the breaking bad room, when they break story, they will often like look at a problem and then try to drive right through it. And that's sort of where we went. Um, we'd sort of been like teasing the idea of having, I, I think I wrote a line in an early episode where, where, uh, like Josh is sort of flirty or says something mm. about with, about Margot and Henry, he runs out of the room and she turns to Elliot and says, um, just floating this, but would it be weird if I fucked Josh? Oh yeah, I remember. I that remember now. that. <laughs> yeah, and then he says, "Well, I certainly hope it would be weird." And then, um, and then, uh, uh, which I meant uh, like he was excited because who would want to have sex? Yeah, that's yeah. not weird. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, which I I think I'd thrown in because like uh, there's a reference to Josh and and Janet sleeping together in the books, and that was sort of where that notion came from. Janet um, helps with everyone. Right. Yeah. But like, I like you know, Josh, we, I, I like this idea that Josh is sort of this nebbishy guy who's kind of got game because he's very charming. Um, and that, you know, uh, you don't like Margo just can, Margo can sleep with who she wants to sleep with. Um, so we've had this idea that maybe they would hook up, but like, you know, we don't kind of force these things to happen. We usually kind of wait to see, if something organic comes out of it. Um, and then 
we'd written the story, you know, Reed had written the story where they fight. And then coming into this episode, um, it, it, putting them together with having tension from the previous episode just felt like it added to the problem because like she's extra angry at him. She's, she's her, she's entirely driven by Elliot, you know, Mm. emotionally this, like she, she couldn't save Elliot. So she wants to save what she can. Yeah. Yeah. And Josh is sort of refusing and refusing and refusing to do the things that, you know, he's not going to just go sleep with some random person and he's, and he's not going to murder somebody. (laughs) And because he's sort of seen the breadth of what could happen to someone, you know, who, 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 uh, is in the full throes of the quickening in the episode. Um, and he makes a decision to sacrifice himself and, you know, we were trying to figure out how to get around it. And then it, it just sort of occurred to us, well, well I, I don't, I don't even remember where it came up, who came up with it in the room, but it was just like, wasn't on most other shows we would do a thing where, and this is, this happens on the magicians a lot. We say like, well, on most other shows we would do a thing where we somehow save him and she is able to help him and then it all works out. Uh, and then we were like, but on the magicians, that's not like, why doesn't she just become a werewolf? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like she has a way to save him. Yeah. Like she just has to consent. Like it becomes a, it becomes a moot problem. And, and so it, the thought of having Margot make this, you know, sacrifice was the was the most compelling part of it because it, it was suddenly like oh i am really moved by margo's doing this and i think it's interesting and we're you know like it it it, it starts their relationship in a crazy way that yeah, i can't yeah. say that i have seen a relationship on tv start like this before <laughs> so you know uh, um and you know it, it like they 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 have a big arc this season which i won't go into but like you know <laughs> The intention wasn't to start a relationship. The intention was just to save him. Yeah. Uh, but they have some chemistry, and they are sort of like working out what that means uh, in, mm-hmm. you know, after this. Um, but you know, really, it just—it it honestly just came out of the idea that on any other show we would probably just figure out a way to solve this problem and reset it, and on this show we would just go—we want to drive right into the problem. <laughs> and yeah. Just, will deal with whatever the consequences are. <laughs> yeah, um, write yourself it, into, write your future self into holes. <laughs> yeah, which is which yeah. is my favorite thing about writing the show. And I will <laughs> say there are some of my, there are some lines, which I will not quote here, by other writers that come in later episodes that come out of this whole situation that make, that I am, I, I find delightful and I'm glad we did it. <laughs> so. Okay, so we've heard that Margo will go through a pretty big personal journey this season one that she goes through very much on her own in the books. How does this budding relationship affect that journey? Does it? Um, I can't really comment on that yet. Uh, Figures. So, which is to say that, like, you know, we, we yes, I guess it does. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the most I can really say. Um, it's a part of the journey in its own way, you know? Fair enough. Um, we should get out of Josh territory because there, despite the fact that this is like a very Josh and Margot intensive episode, there are actually a fair number of arcs, right? Like Danny was saying, it it pushes the story forward in a bunch of different directions. Right. Yeah, there's three three other stories at least in this episode. <laughs> yeah. So I actually mm-hmm. want to throw this one to Danny first. Um, Danny, what did you think about those scenes with Quentin and the monster? Like I said, I mean, I kind of hate to admit it, but I feel like I'm starting to like him. 
I like I like the monster. He's fun, and I think <laughs> Kale's having a lot of fun playing him. Um, uh, I think I, I think I read an interview saying that he was really excited to do it because, like, it's just different. It's a change of pace. The success. Um, he's, he's a terrific actor. It was a, he really rose to the challenge. Yeah, yeah. Hale is intense, and I and I very much admire him. I think I'm starting to like him. I I know that you've been saying that it kind of reminds me of Sarah's other show. You though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Another show that ends with, uh, with uh, lovers in a cage in a very different way. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't watched you by now, that's your problem. I mean, yeah, you, you missed out. Uh, <laughs> well, it's still there. You can watch it. I don't think that ruins anything. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the thing I would say about the monster in that sequence and, and Clinton, I mean, I, I wanted, first off, I wanted to say something, uh, I want to just throw a general shout out to John Scott, who directed this episode, who is a regular magician's director and who I worked with, um, on Ugly Betty and a few other shows, um, who just, I, is a, a phenomenal director and he really just killed it. Mm. And, uh, w- I loved uh, what he did with the two of them. We, you know, look, most of those scenes were shot in a with day. Quentin and the monster. Quentin and the monster in in Dad's garage. Mm. Um, it was on this weird, like horse farm, like in this one part of Vancouver, huh. um, and there were all these horses outside. Um, and, which is a, and it, which is a um, Olivia, as you probably know, is a huge horse fanatic, and I was, <laughs> I, but was only slightly. I was sad that she wasn't able to be there for the, all the horse stuff. Um, and there was no actual horse stuff in it. There was no intent to do horse stuff. Uh, we just happened to be shooting next to a bunch of horses. Um, anyway, so he, he, uh, just did, I thought a masterful job directing them in the sequence and yeah. kind of really like a, a good director will, uh, both encourage the actors to play and kind of, uh, help them hone what it is they're playing with. Um, and you know, I thought he ended up making what was a, just a, just a really beautiful, strange arc for the two of them where you sort of feel like um quentin is helped but you've seen basically we've only seen him be tortured uh yeah. by the monster up until this point and then you know by the third episode I, that's a note that you can't play over and over and over again so um and especially if you want to maintain any mystery about you know who he is and where he comes from and what he wants and so you know we had this idea that like, what if we do a, a story where, uh, you know, he, he you, ha- you kind of wonder if he's helping him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the person you need to be with you is not the person who you like necessarily, but might be the person who has the perspective that you need. Um, I mean, I inherited the storyline about, about the, his dad, um, uh, because you know, we're, we, sometimes you don't know what's going to come into your episode. And that was one that was just sort of like, um, when we were breaking, um, David's episode, the push episode, Yeah, we like, that was one of, that was the, that ending. I, I don't know if you've spoken to him about the episode. I haven't gotten uh, to talk to him that, this season yet. So. Uh, I mean, I, I won't, I won't uh, go into great depth about it, but I will say that that was re- he came in with uh, a bunch of ideas, but one, the one that I think was the heart of the episode was that, um, Quentin has a bad day. Quentin has like the worst possible luck that he could 
that he could have and that it coincides with this whole voicemail from his dad and he wonders whether or not his dad is alive um and uh, he has been uh, uh the writer in the room who has i think worked the hardest to keep the the dad thread going mm. um so i ended up inheriting the episode where you know, we had to deal with the consequences of that. You can't kill his dad in the previous episode and not have him go to the funeral or do anything. Uh, And then, uh, you know, we had, um, I knew that we were going to have a scene with his mom who is not, you know, like is different from the mom in the books. We decided to just kind of go in a slightly different direction. Um, uh, We had this wonderful actress, Joanna going, uh, whose daughter, incidentally, is a huge magician's fan, uh, and came to set. We were shooting all that stuff, and was just like, you know, over the moon to be there. Um, and uh, uh, you know, I knew she only had one scene, but I was sort of like, this is a this is a crucial character. This is a person who who made Quentin who he is. We should we should really get someone good who can make this role uh, like make this small scene seem like a lot. Um, and, and she did, I thought a wonderful job, uh, with that. Like, you know, we, we learn, there's very little we learn about her, um, from, uh, Julia, except that she gives him sort of, uh, uh, guilt about his past or she, she has a, she see, has a vision of him. I don't know if you've experienced this as, uh, um, children of parents, uh, but that you're the feeling that your parents have a vision of you that you can't control and, and you're sort of stuck with. That's actually uh, yeah, no matter a thing that Danny really picked up on. Yeah, I, I mean that to me is I, I, that was sort of where that story came from. Is it like you know uh, we had this idea of the dad, and then the mom was sort of like it, she she had this she had a picture of him as a person who he was when he was younger, and there's no way for her to really understand who he is now, um, and uh, you know so she sees him through that lens, um, and uh, you know he's hyper aware of it um you know as a person who is clumsy and or breaks things yeah and i feel like he has way more mommy issues than daddy issues <laughs> <laughs> i won't comment on that I will, say, I will say that um what i liked about the storyline and, and this is something i, I want to give david reed credit for um because i had written a version of it the track through into the last scene where he's uh, talking to the monster. And this was one where I'm going to fully admit when I broke the story, I didn't really know how the monster was going to help him. And I didn't really know what the monster was going to say. But for some reason it was like in writing it, it really, like it was, I sort of explored it and came and it, and it got better and better as it went along. And that was, it was a process of discovery. Um, and when writing that scene where he tells the monster uh, that, like, you know, because your parents see you a certain way and it never really changes, um, and he tells the story about the ashtray and et cetera, et cetera, um, he had pitched, like, uh, he, I think his pitch was, like, you can go for something deeper here. Like, he wonders if his mother was right. That's the core of it because I think that's really the core of the psychology of all children is that, like, the voice you hear in your head when you're insecure is the voice of your parents. You know, it's the voice uh, of your parents yeah. saying, like, you could do better. You could be better. Why didn't you? Why did you screw this up? You know, I think about yeah. this all the time as a parent. <laughs> um, and uh, and so, like, I, I, I love which I thought was a, I just thought that was a beautiful idea. And so I, he 
says to the thing to him, which I, is my favorite thing in that whole sequence where he says, like, sometimes I wonder if she's right. Um, I do break things like, mm. you know, uh, Alice and all of goddamn magic, Julia. Um, and there's some truth to that. Like everything around him kind of goes to shit a lot. Mm. Yeah, uh, I thought it was really beautiful. Like, uh, and 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 Jason, uh, I thought underplayed it in in a great way. Um, everyone did. Like I, that that that, I thought the acting in that storyline it was just everyone really brought their A game. I agree. I think that there's a lot to there's a lot to enjoy in this episode, and there are a lot of really great performances. But that scene that you're talking about, or the scenes in the garage, were some of my favorite from this episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they. I mean, it's funny, and it's just two people talking and two people destroying a bunch of <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, model airplanes. I also special shout out to the to our props department. The uh, um, um, the guy on said uh, that day, uh, whose name is Jordan. Just like we had a certain number of airplanes, and I would go visit props during <laughs> prep. And it would, it would be like five of them, and they're all building airplanes. And they're like, we're going to you know, we're, I know you're going to destroy them, but we're building them. And he just kept like they would break them, and he would collect them, and then put some back together, and like <laughs> so we could get different like shots. And just I mean, he kept rebuilding them and rebuilding them until we had enough, you know, shots of the destroyed airplane. I mean, we had a ton of them to destroy, but I mean, that was a that was one of those days where you're sort of like you realize what a good props guy can do to, uh, to make uh, the emotion of a story work. <laughs> I think what I like about that that scene in that line that you mentioned, the your parents will always see you as a child, is it it verbalizes something that it sort of captures something from the books that I think would have been hard to capture other way otherwise because of the way that Quentin's relationship with his parents is different in the show. Um, right. So in the books, for those of you who haven't read them, after Quentin's dad dies. Uh, Quentin goes kind of searching for proof that his dad actually was a magician, essentially because yeah. he thinks he was too normal, kind of like what his mom says about how like she divorced him because he was too normal. But once mm-hmm. Quentin accepts that his dad is dead and that he doesn't have a like magical or even just extraordinary legacy to leave him in any way, he gets this like big burst of power. And I think that line kind of made a connection for me that I hadn't seen before, that I hadn't quite grokked when I read the books, that... Like, there's a lot of reasons why you could get a lot of power out of um, dealing with something that is such a big deal. Um, but there's also something about being released from those expectations that your parents have, right? Like, it's it it gives him yeah. this opportunity to be himself. Totally. I, that's actually what I reread that sequence a bunch of times while I was writing this. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I didn't th- – that bit is one of my – favorite things, uh, in the book that the idea that the, um, I mean, I always sort of took it, I think your interpretation makes a lot of sense. I, I always took it to mean that like the, the death of a parent changes you, yeah. uh, in some way, in some fundamental way that changes the heart of your magic. I thought that was a, a beautiful way to express a truly human thing that everyone can identify with. Um, but that ended up not sort of being the story. I, I sort of feel like I, 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 uh, I tried to borrow a bunch of the ideas in that, in that section of the book. Um, but not like, you know, the, not that, uh, not that anything directly actually. Um, but like I, that was a lot in my mind as, as, uh, as I was writing it. 
Um, I think I had that interpretation at first, too. But Danny, do you remember the talk that we went to that Lev gave? Yeah. You remember how, like, I, I can't remember what the story was, but somebody asked him about his own father. And he he commented that his his dad had, like, refused to. So his dad died, I think, while he was writing the third book or before he wrote the third book. And his dad had mm. refused to read any of his books or acknowledge, basically, that mm-hmm. they were art <laughs> and it, I think wow. like that line kind of put something together in there for me too that like there are a bunch of different experiences you can have around your parents that are hard and complicated and they don't mean that your parents are bad people or that you're a bad person they're just <laughs> that relationship is so fraught yeah that's a great I had not heard that story that's a great that's a great story oh, poor poor Lev I know it's really <laughs> yeah. heartbreaking <laughs> Well, yeah. I think that that's the genuine. Uh, it's, but I feel like it's truth like that 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 makes his book so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that yeah, that that whole sequence was fun to write in the sense that it felt very um, like we were, it felt like we were getting at something, mm. you know, real, which is a funny thing to say about you know. Uh, a, a, a magician and a monster in a garage breaking airplanes. You know? um, the other thing that we wanted to get back to at the end of it was, you know, he, and, and this is, this is one of my favorite that John shot this entire scene as a one it's like one single shot that kind of moves in on Quentin's face. Um, the moment when uh, the Elliot monster tells him that Elliot is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of just go in on, you know, the two of them and it gets, the frame gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And you just sort of start to feel trapped with the two of them. And then Elliot just does this. He says like, and then we'll get somebody to eat. And he like, just, just like grabs his shoulder a little bit. Oh, and then he like goes out of frame and we like zero in on Quentin who just looks destroyed. Mm. And then the next time you see him, he's in the diner while, uh, you know, the monster is eating poutine. (laughs) He eats a lot of food. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. We have a lot of fun with what, it's always a lot of fun with like what's the shirt he's gonna wear. Um, I like the shirt for this uh-huh. Taco Cat one. Yeah, I thought <laughs> that was uh, my my kids were obsessed with Taco Cat, so I thought that would be a funny <laughs> one for him to wear. There's some great shirts to come in the uh, in the season. Um, yeah, there's a, the, the the shirt that he's gonna wear and what's he gonna eat was a lot of uh, a lot of what we discussed with uh, the monster this season. He's a sensory being. We should talk about Alice. I'm feeling very sorry for her right now. Yeah, so... Good. (laughs) So say a little more about that, because I thought we had a great conversation about this over the weekend. I just Uh, love how everyone is very quick to to forgive pretty much everybody else that's done something fucked up in the series, but not not Alice. By I love it, I think you mean I hate it, right? (laughs) Me? Yeah, you said I love how everyone's quick to. <laughs> oh yes. yes, it was sarcasm. That was you're, my you're pro Alice, right? <laughs> sarcasm. Yes. Um. Yeah, I think I I agree with you, but I think like the thing that gets me almost more than that is just how much trouble she's having forgiving herself. Like you saw that in her interactions with Santa in the first couple episodes, and in a lot of what she is saying in the conversations with Plover in this one but it's like you said right like you compare what she did to say what Julia did um I don't remember now if it was the end of season one or the beginning of season two 
or oh. end of season one when she stole the knife and <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and ran off with the beast. Yeah, yeah, or like what Margot, very similar, or like what Margot did with Fen and Elliot's daughter, right? Like talk about betrayals. These are some big betrayals, or like what Tick did. So we're not just like hating on the women, like. Tick <laughs> totally betrayed them, like, tried to kill them, and now he's, like, been forgiven, and he's, like, back in a position of, you know, <laughs> medium power. <laughs> I just, I don't know what she did was that much worse. Like, it's a dick move, but I, I don't even know that I buy that everything would be hunky-dory magic-wise if she hadn't done that. Like, yeah, like, would Julia even have come back if there hadn't been a threat to all of magic and not just like bureaucracy. What do you think, Danny? That that's what I've been thinking about. Like had, if you just even take out just what Alice did just herself, like I feel like the same events would have still gone down because Elliot still also had already killed the host body of the monster. So either way, like someone was getting possessed that day. Um, <laughs> So really like her one, the one thing she did, I feel like, I think everything still would have happened exactly the same, whether she had done it or not. Mm. The library was still going to show up. Uh, I think that's true. Um, I mean, I, you know, I think that, uh, I, I think, I mean, also I should, I should stress that, uh, you know, all the men in our show have fucked things up in a big way too. Mm-hmm. At yes. Point. Yeah. Absolutely. Like uh, at least one. Penny has certainly been an asshole quite a bit. Josh uh-huh. literally left them all for dead. Oh yeah. Josh left them all for dead. <laughs> uh, um, and that in season one, Elliot nearly caused them all to die because he was drunk. Um, you know, yeah, they're all they they they've, they've all screwed up. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're only human. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I think you're dead on about Alice, like you know, not forgiving herself. Um, the thing I really love about Alice as a character is that she's got a lot of, she has, there are a lot of different Alice's mm. that she has to reckon with. Um, and they're, they're all always interesting to write. And I think that with, um, I mean, Alice's story this season, I think, especially in these early episodes broke more easily than any of the other stories. Cause I mean, it's a, it's kind of a jailbreak, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and more than a jailbreak, it's, it's a, you know, the, She's had nothing to do but be alone by herself. And I mean, as, as by its very nature, these the stories of the first few episodes have been her and one other character. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so she's like really forced to reckon with um, who she is and what she's done. Uh, and and like, I, I don't know, that, that to me is like, and she continues to uh, in, a, in a big way. Uh, over the course of the season, and and that that's one of my favorite stories to tell. I mean, is that like it's not something that this does not go away. This becomes like a bigger part of the overall story. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I, I I forget who pitched uh, Plover, but uh, showing up in the library. But the, we've always been like that's one of those things that sat on the board for a while, where we've just like <laughs> wanted to find Christopher Plover since he disappeared. <laughs> one like we wanted a, him to show up at some opportune time and and uh, and uh like you know surprise us um and you know charles shaughnessy who, who plays him is a is a a fantastic actor uh mm-hmm. and I, <laughs> I can never get over him being being christopher plover because i'll always just think of him as um 
like the main guy from the nanny. <laughs> <laughs> he is, I mean, a, a delight to work with and really great. And uh, he and Olivia had a lot of fun, I think, working together. Uh, I mean, it's it's a pretty common thing on this show where you'll see two characters together and they're given some kind of unusual task. And, uh, and then the task becomes incidental. What really is about is the thing that comes out between the two of them as they do it. Yeah. You know, in this one, in this case, she's, he has to go to the revision room. Uh, and I got to give a uh, special credit to obviously to John Scott, who did a wonderful job directing it. Uh, and also, uh, Matthew Chipra, who's our, um, uh, production manager, actually I believe he is an upper level producer now. And I cannot remember the, uh, uh, the, um, I can't remember his current title, but he's a, he's, he's a, he is a person who is integral to the show. Um, and he also sometimes does second unit directing for us and he directed So that sequence where it's, it's a tiny sequence. It takes about like maybe 30 seconds where we see the revision room. Mm. Um, I loved that. In order to do that, we had to, that, that took about a half a day to shoot. Um, because we had to layer one little few seconds. Oh my God. Yeah, uh, it was a real. It, it was with a motion control uh, camera, um, and we just had to film every single little layer of it because the the goal was to sh- see this like giant room, this like massive room that kind of went off into infinity, and with people moving, you know, at all levels of the room. Mm. Um, so it was it's it had this kind of impossible, you know, uh, uh, quality to it, um, and so he. God bless him. You know, we had a, it was a, a very hot day in Vancouver and he, you know, once we had set up the shot, he just shot every single layer of that thing and it took forever. Uh, and it really came together. Um, you know, uh, th- that's one of my favorite things in the episode. Yeah. Um, so I think I got away from your initial question, which was, that's okay. I'm going to uh, make herself suffer. I'm going to get us back to Alice. Cause, um, one of the other things that, uh, Danny had mentioned to me was that she felt like Alice's work in this episode was setting her up to become Cassandra. So I wanted to, to press her to say a little more about that. Well, I actually changed my mind on that. Oh, so. did you? <laughs> <laughs> Why? What, what made you change your well, mind? Well, because it was, it was only like the whole part about the like the spell that like writes itself, like a book that writes itself. I thought like it was going to somehow, like I thought Plover was trying to get her to do something. Hmm. Like, <laughs> well, and set her up. But then I figured out by the end of the episode that that was obviously not a thing. I am still a believer in Alice becoming Cassandra at some point for some nebulous amount of time in some timeline. Let's not even go there. Uh, <laughs> but um, I did a little research <laughs> into Cassandra before this episode because I felt so embarrassed about having to look up uh, Bacchus on Wikipedia in the middle of our last episode. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think I mentioned this at some time before, but Cassandra's prophetic gift and the, the curse that comes with it. So she has the gift of prophecy, but no one be- will believe what she says actually comes from one of the gods. It comes from Apollo. And we haven't seen Apollo yet, at least not as named, but it it does seem like an important thing to keep in mind since we have a monster who apparently has the same parents as Bacchus who is also going god hunting. So I I don't have more than that to say other than just that I think, I don't know, I'm, 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 I feel like we can't have just lost Cassandra in her entirety. Um... 
I don't know if there's anything you can tell us, Henry, but I don't know. Can, will we see more of Cassandra sure, this there's, season? there's something I can tell you, but I'm not going to tell you anything. Oh, so mean. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would ruin it. It's um, probably uh, true. You know, uh, here's what I'll say is like, why, why, why do you assume that all the gods are Greek? Well, I don't. Oh, so we, don't. <laughs> we had a long conversation about the next episode, which I won't relay here, that involved a lot of uh, mixing of gods. And <laughs> well, we'll have that one with Mike next week, that conversation with Mike well, next week. Well, I'll let you, you can have that conversation with Mike. Yeah, because he'll, he'll, uh, he can answer that. Um uh, and and when you see episode six, there'll be even more. You'll have even more questions on that front. Mm. Um, see, that's a good tease. I, I think your theories are really interesting. I, I don't. Know. <laughs> I, I I like. I you know. I appreciate anyone who who takes time to think through what's going on in the show in a deep way. Uh, we spend a lot of time. Too much time. <laughs> We drive I mean, ourselves crazy it, in text messages. If it makes you feel better, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're paid for it, so. <laughs> True. We also have to talk about Julia, of course. And Henry, very serious question for you. What does Julia's aura taste like? <laughs> Are you talking about the pine cone? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, inconclusive. Uh, <laughs> it tastes inconclusive. Um, <laughs> The thing I was most excited about that thing it's called a it's called a tirsis, and it is a uh, it is an actual thing that mayonnaise would have and they would use to dance and kind of uh, you know play with I don't know <laughs> I don't know what to say I was very I was real specific about getting it in there uh, and I and I got to give <laughs> Jolene uh, Purdy the actress who played uh, Shoshana credit like that. All the stuff she did, the crazy dance thing and all the uh-huh. weird noises she was making, that was all her. Um, I literally was watching that while I was at work and just was like, <laughs> had to like turn it down a little bit and just like look around. It was like, this is crazy. <laughs> she is She's hilarious. hilarious. I, I don't know what to say other than I found that. She's hilarious and she just commits. Yeah. She's wonderful. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, I, you know, maybe it, it tastes like brown sugar. I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Maybe it tastes like uh, it tastes like the Aurora Borealis. Mm. <laughs> I think that's like her foot water, right? Of, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's all connected. Um, you know, it tastes like it tastes like uh, batteries. <laughs> so, Danny, I know you also had a lot of thoughts about the ritual that Penny Twenty Three performs with Julia in this episode. Anything you want to comment on? I mean. I thought it was a very sensual scene. Um, <laughs> You're not uh, wrong. <laughs> I like I like the song that was in it, and I, I noticed that Julia is very short. I mean, I knew that already, but she's very short. <laughs> she's not that um, short in real life, but just it's just Arjun's tall. I mean, Arjun, it's funny you see them in real life. Arjun is they tall. They don't seem. Uh, all that unmatched. I mean, that was another thing we set up in in uh, twenty three last year. Mm-hmm. Was um, his, um, you know, love for the Julia from that timeline, um, and that's still something he's sort of reckoning with. Um, uh, yeah, the song is that was I got to give that's uh, Sarah chose that. Sarah I, has good taste in music. She has great taste in music. Um, I uh, uh, the thing that she and I were discussing with this storyline was. Um, kind of getting into you know julia is a person who has experienced this 
sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. we are playing this sort of long arc with her, which is to say, you know, in television, you typically see the trauma and then maybe you'll see the revenge or you'll see them struggling with the trauma. And we wanted to, to get to the point where like, most humans have gone through some trauma. Many humans have gone through some kind of sexual trauma. It, it doesn't necessarily stop you from continuing to derive pleasure from sex. And, you know, like the idea that she's, you know, when she's affronted by the idea that he, he is trying to treat her like delicately because of his own, you know, bullshit hmm. uh, uh, was one that, uh, you know, that, that was, a I thought, an important speech to get at, which was that like, you know, she's a human being and she's going to heal and she doesn't have to be treated like a victim for the rest of her life just because something terrible happened to her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I thought that was a, 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 just a human side of that, that, that was worth playing. Um, and the other thing that I, that I was really fun about that was, was, you know, it's not a sex scene, yeah. um, but it makes it super sexy, you know, to, to, to see two people who are trying to do something that has overtones and trying not to let it uh, be the thing that drives it. But I think that, you know, when they're looking at each other, it's hard not to, it's hard to, you know, it's hard for them not to imagine themselves with each other in that scene. And I liked the word you used, Danny, like sensual, right? Because I think that's, that's what it is. And to be honest, I don't know how much, how frequently we see scenes that are sensual, but not sexual in TV. So that for me was a, a real nice bonus of this episode, a really nice surprise, was getting to see um, them have a conversation about, uh, a, a conversation with with sort of sex in the background, but knowing that sex wasn't going to be an outcome of what they were doing. Right. They, mm-hmm. I got to give them a lot of credit also. The, the um, you know, uh, Arjun and Stella just, I, I thought, played the awkwardness of it beautifully. Um, I remember the one note that came up when we were doing the final mix on it was that we had had the song uh, and the song came in very early. And I realized that once the song comes in, I'm no longer feeling their discomfort. I'm kind of feeling more like this mm-hmm. is a, this is a, this is a scene where I'm looking at their chemistry. Yeah. And so we, we kind of recut it to delay the song as lo- as late as possible so that you really could, feel how awkward it is for the two of them. And they did a wonderful job playing that. Mm. I think it is also interesting, right? Like we're seeing there's at least two character, two new pairings, new romantic ish pairings in this episode. And there's chemistry with, with both pairs, but it's very different chemistry in each case. For sure. I also, Um, that's, Sorry, I'm ahead. curious to hear your thoughts on this. That's all. Oh no, no. I just I, I found I found that something I really liked, and then the other thing that sort of struck me was, and it, it struck me last season a little bit, but we haven't really like seen Penny full on obsess over Julia, Penny twenty three full on obsess over Julia yet in this season until this episode. Um, just seeing that he is intense in his in like all of his relationships, right? Like he's really intense. Penny 40 is really intense in his relationship with Katie and Penny 23 mm-hmm. has an equal intensity in his relationship with Julia. Uh, absolutely. Makes it feel like a part yeah, of it. Yeah, no, I, 
And I guess it was funny because I'm, I'm, I'm like so uh, my head is so far ahead of this episode. I had to rewatch the episode today because I was like, because I couldn't remember what we had revealed and what we hadn't in the episode. Um, I mean, this is one of the first places where we really get a flavor of Penny Twenty Three, uh, you know, as a as a different character, um, and that was part of the reason we kind of did the change up was to to like you know, change their motivations, make him like make the chemistry between people different. Yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 and see how it changed the dynamic with everyone else. Mm. We uh, talked about it a decent amount, how there's just the difference between Julia and, and Penny and Katie and her Penny is like, clearly he, he didn't have as toxic of a relationship with Julia. Right. Clearly, because he just he cares about her in a very different way. Yeah, um, that's true. It's intense, but it's not as yeah toxic. Yeah, toxic. I mean, Katie's Katie's not really uh, in this episode, but but one of the things I love about Penny Twenty Three is that I, I actually think it frees Katie to be a, a her own character in a in a. Um, <laughs> we talked about that. <laughs> yeah, which is actually I find delightful because it, it kind of makes because you know she was. Um, I mean, Sarah will talk about it, that, that, you know, she was, you know, she was like Amanda Orloff, you know, she was, uh, uh, who in the books gets eaten by the beast, uh, you know, and so their initial thought was that she, she could have died in the pilot, but we love Jade and Jade did such a great job. And, you know, this was all preceded me, but then, you know, she, she was Penny's girlfriend. And then once we kind of started exploring, her as her own character, you know, the, the challenge was to, uh, make her her own self. I mean, I think that we, the, the story that I think really opened her up season one was the one about her mother, mm-hmm. uh, where her mother, uh, dies. Um, and, uh, I like, and then we sort of split her off and then she ends up with Julia, which is a, you know, a total kind of left turn change, uh, uh, you know, for, for who she is. And I think that, you know, she dealt with a lot of Arjun's, uh, I should say, uh, uh, Penny's death, um, last season. And so it's, this season is my, one of my favorite things in the season is how, is how her character kind of comes to her own and, and it becomes a different person really. Danny, I know you had some questions about her. Yeah. At the end of the last episode was so big, for her and she's not in this episode at all henry is there anything you can tell us about her storyline going on this season i i uh like i don't want to spoil it because the let me just put it this way when she is missing there is something going on with her and we will like we will we don't like it doesn't get dropped (laughs) let me just (laughs) yeah like when you think you're missing something we will double back and let you know what was going on and nice. Um, kind of like it, with Josh <laughs> and all that Josh. Yes. <laughs> We're like, uh, oh, he was but, gone for a reason. In this way, like, the, the, I mean, well, there's an episode coming up where we really get into it. And uh, it's, it's one of my favorite episodes that we've done. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't want to spoil it for you. I think you should, you think you should, you should watch it and, uh, and, you know, see what you think first time. I'm excited. Um, so at this point, I think we should move on to fashion. I think we've covered all the big character <laughs> things. 
Uh, and there's a lot of fashion to talk about. The first thing, of course, is Elliot's shirts. And you alluded to this already, or sorry, the monster <laughs> shirts. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it took me, I, I actually kind of missed, I, I think I was, I like started it and started Chromecasting it and then like went to get myself a glass of water. So I missed what his t- t-shirt said the first time I watched this episode. <laughs> and when I watched it the second time, I just like, I died. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> Taco Cat spelled backwards is Taco Cat. <laughs> That's it. And then there's a cat with a taco. Cat in a taco. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I what else is there to say? Is this your favorite <laughs> Elliot it. shirt? <laughs> that was mine so far, but I mean, we haven't seen so many. There's, uh, there's a few that come later on that I, I like uh, just as much. Uh, this one brought me a lot of joy in the time. There's, there's one shirt that you don't really see very well later on. Uh, again, I can't, I can't, I don't want to spoil it because they're, they're, they're super great. You'll there's just have to tweet what up. it is when the episode there's some, airs. There's some great ones coming up. <laughs> Um, I also know, so Danny, Danny's notes were like so full of Margot hotness this week. And it was just my favorite thing because I always love Margot. <laughs> like, she looked really hot in this episode. <laughs> she did. did. Was it just, was it like all of the outfits or was it just that first blue one or like, was it Both. outfit the blue one independent? Was it kinda, Other outfit was, was really kind of weird, it, weird neckline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one's, that one's pretty great. <laughs> Yeah, and then her, like, shirt tucked into, like, her skirt one, like, polka dots. She looked really good, and her hair was up, which it rarely is. Well, and then it was... Her hair's da- rarely up in just a ponytail. And then it was down at the end, right, like, after after her um, liaison with Josh. And yes. I really yeah. liked getting to see, like, the full volume of Summer's hair there. <laughs> I yeah. Mean, for me, that scene is all about, like, I don't... I don't know how Summer did it, but she does that. She like cries the one tear from one eye, the <laughs> eye that's in her, it's, it's, it's in the light. Yeah. At, at the appropriate moment. Like that was one of those like, and her damn. lip and her like some chin is are, quavering. Oh yeah. Some the chin people wobbles. Are good at acting. <laughs> yeah. She's, she just, she just, uh, I mean that, that one is, a, that's an amazing amount of control. Yeah. Um, she can do like a pinpoint turn. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. <laughs> um, I know that's not about her outfit, but boy, I was, I was, it's okay. You know, that, it's the whole package. That was, when we saw those, you know, when we saw those dailies, it was like, oh my god. <laughs> I think Sarah tweeted actually, something about it. It was sort of a subtweet for the writers. Yeah. Said something like, uh, I just looked at the, the scene where an actor has a perfect tear coming out of like the corner of her eye. And I, <laughs> that was the one. I also love how that scene puts it into Margot's perspective afterwards, because like a lot of the times after like a sex scene, it'll be like let's show how the guy's reacting. But it was all just like her. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and I mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. I mean, that's the, to me that that was the, the story was, his story was kind of done. Her story was still like, she's reckoning with this thing, you know, mm-hmm. like she's dancing as fast as she can, trying not to think about the, the incredibly sad thing at the heart of her life. Yeah. yeah. You know, she's doing everything she can to try to save this guy. And like, that's the, that's the, context of it I, the other thing is i in order to do the moment at the end i think you have to really reckon with people people's feelings about losing elliot you know um and i feel like this is the point in the season where you start to think like well gosh i guess i guess we're not going to see elliot or elliot's gone or whatever and i feel like you know the thing that she's struggling with is is, is my friend dead 
yeah. And mm-hmm. same thing with same thing as Quentin. And so I yeah. feel like we just tried to frame it so that these things were coming like back to back to back, yeah. like you know that scene, the Quentin scene, and that scene, and then the 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 Boutine scene, and then and then the shot that goes into the eye where we where we uh, you yeah. know. <laughs> I, I will say, and this brings it back to fashion. So we we did our first episode with John and Sarah, and uh, one of them, I think it was Sarah, made a comment about how uh, the monster has a cool shirt every few episodes, and people flipped out. They were like, "Wait, we're not going to have Elliot back for like multiple, multiple episodes." <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean. I, I, again, I can't comment on that. No, you can't. Say like, why do you assume just because we have the monster, there's no Elliot? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you see, you see actual Elliot in this episode. In the eyeball. Yes, you, you do know, at the end. The actual Elliot with his, you know, Elliot Breakbill's looking outfit. So, you know, yeah. Best. Here's a fashion question that I didn't put on, but that I just thought of. On a scale of one to ten, how pissed do you think Elliot would be that someone is <laughs> wearing those clothes on his body? <laughs> uh, I put him at like a six or a seven. It depends. I feel like, how many, I feel how many like he wouldn't he be have? too mad because he'd be like, "Eh, I can pull it off." I think he, yeah, that's a, I think that's a good point. Um, I mean, I think he would, uh, you know, I think, I think he'd like the black coat, um, that he's wearing, but I, I think that, and I think that the t-shirts are, uh, I mean, he might enjoy that in, a, in an ironic kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think um, they're ironic for the think, monster? I think the monster he probably just is them. sensuous creature and thinks that they're funny or fun and just puts them on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. He likes food. He likes, you know, that's a funny drawing. I'm going to put that on. That's it. That's so it. does the monster kill people for his outfits? Um, sometimes. <laughs> uh, Jimmy's or sprinkles. <laughs> um, so let's see. Oh, so was Mark wearing a pink, the pink, is it a pink blouse in this one? Wait, is Margo? It's a pink skirt. She's got the pink skirt, right. And then she's got the, and then she's got the print blouse, right? Yeah. 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 That's a terrific outfit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I actually, that skirt, I I just started sewing recently and um, there's a skirt in my Instagram feed that's kind of like that. I mean, it's, it's a similar design, but they use different materials to make it. They use like a bright yellow wool, but it's that same, like pencil skirt with the offset buttons. Right. Love it. <laughs> um, okay. So the other outfit I wanted to talk about was Penny 23's outfit. I, I didn't love that outfit because it was so matchy matchy, but I noticed that the shirt looked a lot more like something we would have seen Penny 40 wear in like the first season. Um, part of that is just like the neckline. You mean like open single button at the end, at the bottom. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's a he's cut for. I mean, uh, so you know, Arjun spent a lot of time talking with like Magali's vision for him is as as a as a slightly different character. So I feel like there are echoes of a lot of the Penny mm. that we know, but definitely, um, but but kind of with his own vibe. I think that's true. I think that you know, he his life isn't wasn't super different from Penny until he got to break bills. I mean, our Penny, yeah, Penny yeah. Forty. 
Um, but yes, it's true. He definitely has a lot of the like, you know, although, although he hasn't, he doesn't wear a lot of scarves. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Which was a big, you know, thing that, that Penny Forty would wear. Yeah. Uh, but definitely has the like open shirt, single button at the bottom kind of vibe. Um, kind of, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know how I would describe it. What what would be the bohemian? Would be I think he's the, actually more clothed. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's been a long time since Arjun has taken off his shirt on the magicians. You should definitely fix that for us, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've shot the season already, but uh, you know, <laughs> you'll, you'll see. You'll see. You'll see more of Arjun <laughs> later on. You'll see quite a bit of Arjun in in, in several episodes coming up. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, last fashion one I have. Henry, you wrote this episode. We know you love working. I mean, who doesn't love working with Magali from what we've heard? Um, are there any... <laughs> She's great. Fashion... She's amazing. Yeah. Um, I wish we keep trying to get, get her on. It'll happen someday. Um, are there any other fashion elements from this episode that you'd like to draw our attention to or from the first three episodes in the season? Anything that we might have missed? Oh gosh! Forgive me because I, it's been. I'm. I'm like. I have to put my head. In. I'm. I'm. You know. I, I've been looking at the last episodes of the season, so I'm like trying to get the my head back in the. Um, I mean, I think Margot's outfits in this one are terrific. I think the pencil skirt is probably my favorite of the bunch of mm-hmm. uh, the things that she wears in in this uh, uh, in this particular episode. I, I feel like Josh wears stuff that is like kind of basic and comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, the monster is the you know the the monster is in the mon- is the monster. Uh, Quentin dresses uh, also in a has a his standard look. Um, the man ad she constructed this crazy outfit for the man ad mm-hmm. that has this sort of cross thing on the front, uh, which I think looks like simultaneously like a uniform, but also like a weird you know it has like a weird religious quality to it mm. um yeah forgive me because like I'm, i this is usually where uh like when we get to fillery there's some more there's some there's like there's stuff in fillery that i i feel like fillery is where she really gets to shine yeah i mean the, mm-hmm. it's really fun to see her dress you know i mean elliot and Margot, although not really elliot i guess right now um in earth stuff because they're very stylish and fun and th- those are really fun outfits to, to look at um but i feel like fillery is where she gets to go like you know like go crazy uh and really you know uh invent things from the you know from the uh the ground up um the other thing that she's really good at is we have later on a bunch of uh, there's a lot of uh, uh outfits with hoods and I think hoods always look terrible. Um, but for some reason, the hoods that she constructs are always, like, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> really, they really, like, they hide the face when they need to hide the face. They reveal when they need to reveal. They seem, like, big and dramatic. They're the kind of hoods that I imagine, like, that you would wear when you were, uh, you know, in a and d campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that. Um, yeah. I don't have a lot. I mean, there's, it's funny because I guess there's, there's – I don't have a lot of uh, – of, uh, of, of great fashion commentary for this particular episode only because I just didn't think it was a, it's not one that, that, that uh, it's not one that leans on it that hard, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a smaller episode. People are kind of paired off. Um, uh, and then there are several scenes where they're, where they're taking off their clothes. So. <laughs> um, all right, then we'll move on to MVP. 
I, I know it's the obvious choice, but my MVP for this episode has to go to Trevor. Um, there's just so much that we see from him <laughs> that we haven't seen before. Not because Trevor isn't a great actor, but just because we we had so few opportunities to see him really like dive deep. Like other than all that Josh last season, he hasn't had a, a ton of episodes where he really has big meaty parts until now and it's just i just found it really nice to see his full yeah, all range that josh at 23 and this one were, were are definitely like the big big josh stories yeah yeah and i just found it really nice to be able to see like the full his full range on display um that makes him sound like a peacock but whatever uh <laughs> but it was, yeah because i think he as a character is someone who tends to comes in with a lot of comic relief yeah and you know, the the tendency of for an audience member is probably not to take that character seriously or not assume that they have an emotional life. Uh, and, you know, that one of my favorite thing in television are the episodes where you learn about the other characters who aren't always like at the center of things. Um, and our show is a real ensemble. Uh, and that is, you know, we get to learn over the course of the season about a lot of characters who we don't necessarily always focus on. Yeah. That that's yeah. I mean, I he's he's a delight to write for, and he really like just kind of brought it with this episode, and you know, and and uh, and as did uh, uh, Summer. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that you scene know. in the cage with both of them, where uh, I just think it's it's so great. That was the thing that got me, especially. It is though. Yeah, they really they kept that real. I appreciated. They did. Yeah, I will say I've been watching. I've been rewatching Frasier. Um, which if you are like full on millennial and not like on the cusp, like I am is a, I don't know that I would call it a great show. I, I I've been thinking about it a lot and I really think it's like the original big bang theory. That's my like current <laughs> view on it. Um, I think it's pretty sharp writing. Uh, and it did is. you, and did you, did you realize that Trevor was in it? Well, that's yeah. So I, I actually knew that, um, from a while back, like I remember, I was like, where, when I think when I first saw him on The Magicians, I was like, where have I seen that name before? Um, but I, uh, I tweeted out a photo recently of his, uh, there's a scene where Trevor plays a like 12 year old goth kid. And it is, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. it's just like the most hilarious thing you've ever seen. I, it's, it's really fun, like getting to see him in both of those. It's like, I mean, as a, child actor he's like an old pro you know he just he's been doing it forever and he really you know he 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 just he brings a lot of professionalism to it which is really great um you know he 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 just he comes in he hits his marks he knows his lines he brings a lot of uh interesting ideas to it um you know it's just it's really fun to uh to kind of throw new stuff at our actors and like see what they come up with and he really he really is a you know, he really responded fantastically. Yeah. So, uh, Danny, how about you? Who's your MVP this episode? Uh, I, I was like very torn between Trevor and Summer, but I ended up giving it Summer, and it's probably just solely based off of that single tear she said she said <laughs> she sheds. I think won it for her. <laughs> I mean, that was a fantastic moment. <laughs> the chin wobbles are great too. The chin wobbles, yeah. <laughs> I think it's just seeing that, like, you know, she just has this, like, really intense, like, lead up to that. Like, she's just like, go, 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 go. And then she just, like, allows herself to feel some feelings for a second. You do not see Margot cry. 
very often. No. Never. Well, and that's almost never. And so that was like, that's one of those, I, I you know, that's one of those moments that I really like. She's not someone who, uh, she doesn't want to cry in front of you. She doesn't need to cry. She, you know what I mean? I, I, not that she doesn't feel things. I just think that that's not her, uh, not her style. I think mm-hmm. one of the reasons the third book is my favorite, there's a lot of reasons the third book is my favorite in the series, but one of the big ones is because it's the, it's where we get to, to learn something real about Janet and about her sort of like inner emotional life in a way that we don't for the rest of the series. And it, it's a scene. I mean, I, I'm told we're going to get to see Margot in the desert this season. And so presumably we will get some of that same <laughs> intensity if in a different way. Um, but I think like that. Uh, it's, it's, that's a, that's a really good episode. And I, I look for, I really look forward to hearing your thoughts on it. <laughs> I, I, that, that one is. I'm looking forward special. to it. But I think like as somebody yeah. who I, identifies fairly strongly with Janet in the books, <laughs> um, <laughs> getting to read a little bit more, like getting to see her be vulnerable is um, in the books or in the show or Margot in the show is one of the most gratifying things to me because it's, I don't know. I think I, I joke about this a lot, but like I, I, you know, we do like all the silly personality, um, test stuff, but like my personality type always gets cast as villains. And I think it's for this exact reason that like <laughs> people are, are just a, kind of assume, huh? Are you a Slytherin? Um, I'm Ravenclaw, primary Slytherin, secondary. I'm an INTJ gotcha. in Myers-Briggs, which is uh, <laughs> apparently nothing but villains. But I think, like, that casting happens because people <laughs> see the, like, tough exterior and they assume that there's, like, no inner emotional life for that person. And so I really love it when we get to see characters who are tough and, um, you know, get shit done and... Uh, don't take any bullshit when we get to see sort of the other side of that and how they're affected by what's going on in their lives. Yeah, me too. I, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, I, you know, I think uh, she wasn't a concern of Lev. The interesting thing about those books is I feel like Lev kind of found as he built the world more, he sort of got more interested in all the other characters. Yeah. Like Janet really isn't, she's not in the, the um, uh, Magician King. Uh, and, and she kind of comes back in the magician's land and we sort of learn where she was, Yeah, you know, you know, we just have a different framework. So I like this season is really a lot about her. Who is she without Elliot, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and her trying to figure that out. Uh, and I, you know, like the, the, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I feel like, you know, we we're, we're very concerned with making sure, I mean, everyone is likable and unlikable, I think, on our show. Um, every, I, like that, I hope that they come off as human and you, you don't, you know, we were discussing how everyone was, is angry at uh, Alice uh, off of last year. Um, you know, one of the things I, I, I think that you will understand her better by the end of the season and the same thing for Margot. Hmm. Um, and like, I think that's part of the fun of this. So Henry, who's your MVP this episode? Um, gosh, uh, I, 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 I would probably, well, let's see, maybe I'll give it to John Scott, my uh, director. Mm. 
um, who uh, I think is just has a ability to really do uh, you know action sequences and emotion and keep the camera moving. Um, I feel like he just he just this is one of my favorite experiences. I would probably, but I, I, if I had to give it to an actor, I would be torn between between um, Trevor and and uh, Summer. Yeah, uh, for this episode because this is this was like this was they are the A story in this in this episode. Um, and I feel like the two of them really brought like a lot to it. Um, okay, so we're into the episode rating. I have to say, I, I've been a little nervous about this, Henry, because I had I had some kind of mixed feelings about this episode. Um, and <laughs> it's okay. I know you tell us you want honesty, so you're getting honesty. Um, on the one hand, I thought it was great to see more of the, more of Josh. I think he's a fantastic character. Um, I'm glad he's able to move beyond comic relief in this season and, and a little bit in last season. Um, that's such an important element in the books, and so getting to see it on screen is great. And from like a pure entertainment perspective, this was such a fun episode to watch for for so many different reasons. Um, I liked that we saw like all f- all four four of these different stories, and yet none of them felt like, even though there clearly was like an A story and some B stories, it didn't really feel like anything was. I, I didn't feel like anything was just kind of moving along in the background. They all felt like they had a lot of depth. There's also a bunch of great lines. Um, Son of a clip. Only Bacchus is Dunsies. What was the other? You had one other one. I can't remember right now, but there was another. Oh, well, and all yeah, of the had... Jesus ones. <laughs> the Jesus There's blank. There's so many Jesus blank cries. <laughs> yeah. That became a runner. Yeah. <laughs> that said... I am not sure that I feel at this point like the Margot-Josh relationship has been fully earned. So I'm interested to see how that develops. But that's, um, because we've seen them so together so rarely, I think that for me was the big, I'm not so sure about this episode. So don't kill me. I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. Well, they don't really have a relationship. They don't have a relationship yet. This is just a, I mean, they don't have a love relationship yet. This is just, they just slept together at the end of the episode. Well, but it's that line that Margot says about how, like, it's not going to be casual that I think I was like, oh, it's it's both interesting. Says, I, saved your, I saved your life, bitch, so casual that. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll change my tune later, but, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this episode, but in the spirit of, like... You don't, you don't, have, to, huh? you don't have to justify it. They, they can't all be picked. <laughs> No, no. And, uh, you know, we did such, I mean, last season we basically did give everything a 10. And I think that we lost some trust with our listeners because of that. (laughs) Did we? I don't know. (laughs) All right. I don't know if we did. She pays attention way more than I do. I'm um, bullshitting here anyway. But Danny, your turn. What's your, what's your rating? I feel like your rating is very similar to how I felt with the last episode. Like mine was a seven out of 10 and I had all these reasons, even though I, I personally also think it's one of my favorite episodes, even though I gave it a 7 out of 10. Uh, but for this one, I would say it's probably more of like a 9 out of a 10 for me. <laughs> We're exactly reversed. Last week I gave a 9 right. and she gave a 7. So there you go. <laughs> well, like not, not every – like you realize when, you, when you're designing the episodes for a season, yeah, not every episode – like you know – I would say you almost know based on the concept like how the audience is often going to feel about it. Uh, you know, I, I read this episode where we we kill Alice, and I, like that was, I mean, not this season. That was the no. Season th- uh, I think two. we gave that one a ten out of ten. Um, 
Right. But like that was it, an amazing it, episode. But we knew you knew that was also John Scott who did directed that one. But that was you knew it was gonna be a big event episode, yeah, so yeah. people would have a strong reaction to it. Um when you guys see like the Margot Desert episode, I would be very surprised if you didn't have a strong reaction to it. <laughs> um you, like you we, we like you know it in the room. So sometimes like the job becomes how do you make a smaller episode? Um, you know, and for like and which I am there's no, you know, I'm, I'm glad you both liked it. I, I also appreciate you trying to keep, uh, uh, you know, your rating systems honest. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, know what our rating system is at this I point. I was excited but... to, write, to write a, to write a, yeah. the werewolf episode really. <laughs> that was the thing. <laughs> did you ever, did you ever like pitch for Teen Wolf? I never did. No, but like one of my early specs when I was just trying to break into the industry was a werewolf script that I've always liked. Werewolves. I like werewolves. Yeah. <laughs> I find their mythology really interesting. They're hard to do well. Mm. Have you ever seen, um, what's that show on Netflix? It's called Hemlock Grove. Oh, yeah, yeah. It uh, has like the craziest fucking were they, werewolf were they transition. by like bursting out of their mouth and like ripping their. Yeah. Flesh. <laughs> yes. That yeah. shit. That's haunted a unique me. one. That's a unique <laughs> one. I'm a, I'm a, like uh, American Werewolf in London, classic kind of guy. Yeah. And that, and probably my two favorite werewolf movies are that and the original Wolfman with Lon Chaney. Oh, you know, shit. It's a great classic story, totally oh. works. <laughs> I like werewolves. I think I'm more of like a the horror werewolf fan. Like, right. Or like the howling. That's another good one. Have you seen, I don't actually know what this is called, but I remember that um, Lanier came across on TV a movie that starred the guy who plays Remus Lupin, whose name is like gone out of my head. Um, um, uh, yes. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. It just left my head as well. Oh. <laughs> Danny Hill. Um, uh, it was in, uh, he's so he famous. Mike lays naked. Uh, I'll just look it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the guy who plays Remus Lupin, whose name is, yeah, it's David. David Thulis. Yeah, David Thulis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that guy is in this movie, and like Lanier was just flipping channels, and he came across the scene where David Thulis says, "I used to be a werewolf, but I'm okay now." Ooh! And then he went to the next <laughs> channel. <laughs> this <is a> satire? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's some other movie, and he just like came across like the the perfect scene to flip channels through. <laughs> okay. Well, Henry, we, we never, we never make you do ratings. Cause that's a ter- That's like a terrible thing to have anyone do. Oh, I, 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 there, yes. <laughs> I, I work on all the shows, so I can't, uh, I can't, uh, you know, this one was a delight to do. It was fun. So, but I'm not going to rate. <laughs> so I think what we will ask you is like, what was, what was the most fun part about working on this episode? Well, working with, working with, John, who I've really enjoyed collaborating with in the past, working with Trevor and working with uh, Summer, probably um, were, were just the, that was that was super fun. Actually, you know, I'm going to flip that and say my favorite thing was writing all of the all of the kind of crazy female parts in this in this episode. Like, I really enjoyed writing those. Like, one of the fun to me that this was, uh, you know, uh, um, Arden Myron who plays the professor. Yes, she's and- so funny. <laughs> she's really funny um and and Kasia Korpinski who who plays Enid uh and um Jolene uh, Purdy who plays uh, uh Shoshana like writing for 
and 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 also actually not so not like such a comic role, but like Joanne Going, who played the who plays Quentin's mom, just writing for a bunch of really strong like two or three scene character actor actresses. Uh, that was a that was a like hands down one of the most fun things about writing this episode. Good like, answer. I, I really really enjoyed that. Good answer. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Henry. It's always just such a pleasure sure. to have you on. Always a pleasure. <laughs> um, listen- <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> Listeners, thank you for sticking with us into season four. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. And if you like us, please rate us on iTunes. Whether or not that's where you subscribe, um, that's where the ratings make the most difference for us. So, yeah, please please do that if you like the show. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Physical Kids Pod. Bye. Bye. Mind slide. If there's any place to ask werewolf sex questions, this is the place. <laughs>